0: Please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of First Samuel and we'll be reading first Samuel chapter sixteen and I'm reading from the New International Version. First Samuel chapter sixteen The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons he has? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit of God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him.
1: Good morning. Good morning. first time preaching up here in the 10.30. See how it goes. How we pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we know that you're a God who's in control of this world and that you work in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this this passage that you've given us today, that you'll help us and challenge us to live lives that are for Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, Pastor David mentioned one of his favorite verses that not many of us would probably have heard before. He said, To obey is better than to sacrifice. Today we look at a chapter that's where we find a verse that is very familiar to most of us. It's in verse 7 and it says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And one way of looking at this verse is this truth that What looks good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside. We learnt this truth in architecture. I don't remember much of the lectures that we sat through, uh, but there was a group of lectures that we remembered really well. Uh, We had a series of lectures about structural failures, and we went through a number of very massive faux pas and mistakes of engineers and builders, because architects don't make mistakes. During during this subject, we looked at case study upon case study of buildings, bridges and structures that looked fine on the outside but were deeply flawed on the inside. In 2009, in about June, we heard a story about a 13-storey building in Shanghai. It just collapsed 90 degrees like a domino. An inspection of the building after saw that many of the structural columns were actually hollow on the inside, and they had no reinforcement in them at all. All these structures we looked at, they looked fine, but failed in the end. What looks good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside. We've been looking at Samuel, and in the last three chapters, we've read about Saul's failure upon failure. And I don't think we can look at Saul at an arm's length and just make him out to be the bad guy. Looking at Saul should remind us of ourselves. As I look around this morning, we all look fine on the outside, but whether we like to admit it or not, we're all flawed on the inside. We do wrong, we all sin, we all rebel against God. We are all without Jesus in our hopeless state. We're deeply flawed, and God says the punishment for our rebellion is death. The chapter that we come to today, we see that amid source failure, God provides. God provides his king, he sends his spirit, and God works out his plans. We read that God looks at the heart, God sees what we don't see. God looked at Saul's heart and his disobedience and rejected him. And he looks at David and chooses David as his future king. I believe this chapter really gives us great hope as God's people. This chapter is about God providing his king. And it's through David, and more significantly through the greater David, Jesus Christ, that God works his plan to wipe clean our deep flaws, our sin and our rebellion. And really gives us hope in hopelessness and assurance today of new life to come. It was a really interesting chapter to ponder over through the past week, and I probably made it more interesting by starting way too late for my own comfort. This chapter is made up of one very well-known passage, which is David's anointing, and then a less-known passage that most preachers and commentators I found just totally skipped over. There are lots of little details that we'll quickly mention without getting too sidetracked from the main points. This chapter is really fascinating because this is the first time that David is mentioned and introduced in the Bible. And it's the foundation really here for God's kingship line, this dynasty or trajectory that points to Jesus as God's eternal king. If we miss this observation from this passage, I think we miss a major point of this chapter. David looks forward to Jesus. I split the passage today into three points and three sections. First is God sees and provides, which is verse 1 to 12. Then God sends his spirit, 13 and 14, and God works out his plan, which is the rest of the chapter. I believe this passage would have given the Israelites much hope. Saul was flawed. He was rejected and fallen. But God was still working. In fact, God provides a king for himself. And this passage should stir up much hope in us today. We are also flawed, rejected and fallen. But God has provided for us Jesus, God's own king. And he's worked through Jesus, who's our saviour and our risen king. So let's have a look. First section is God sees and provides. I'm reading from verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. This passage starts on a rather sad and somber note, with Samuel mourning or grieving over Saul's rejection. But God comes to Samuel and gives Samuel hope. A new king. God's chosen king. And the ESV, if you're reading it, further emphasizes this and says it's a king for God himself. Saul, if you remember back in chapter 8 and 9, was the people's king. He was a product of the people's cry for a king. The new king would be God's king. And as we read on in verses 2 and 3, Samuel actually responds to God in fear. He says, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to the sacrifice I can come to sacrifice to the Lord. I invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Saul was in fear. Was in fear of Saul's response? And probably the whole idea of anointing a new king while Saul was still around. And also knowing that the route for Samuel from Ramah to Bethlehem was right through Saul's city of Gibeah. But note here that God's solution for Samuel's fear is to obey God. And as we read God's instructions here, I think many of us might be curious in asking if if God is telling Samuel to lie here. Is God really being truthful and morally right in what he instructs Samuel to say? This isn't, a really, this isn't really a main point in the passage, but I'll try to address it quickly. Firstly, God commands Samuel to say this. If God commands it and he's the ruler of the universe, it'd make perfect sense just to obey it. Secondly, God doesn't actually make Samuel lie. He, Samuel isn't forced to speak falsely here. Samuel just makes a broad statement of what's happening that doesn't go into every bit of detail. It's like if I said, I'm going to Garden City. I'm not lying or deceiving if I end up going to K.C. or matches, which are all conveniently at Garden City. Back to the passage. In verses 4 and 5, we read of Samuel's obedience, completely obeying God's instructions. What a contrast to Saul in the previous chapters. The elders of the town tremble as they meet Samuel. We're not told why, but I can imagine two reasons. Firstly, it could be when, like, when a pastor makes an unexpected visit or phone call, and we always automatically think, is there something wrong? Have I done something wrong? Why is he calling me? Prophets often brought God's judgment to God's people, in the Old Testament. Or secondly, it could have just been that the Bethlehemites, uh, they heard about Saul's rift between Samuel because of God's rejection, and the people just didn't want to get involved. As we read on, the sacrifice goes ahead, and Jesse's sons are paraded in front of Samuel in verses 6-10. to 10. The first guy is Eliab, he's Jesse's oldest son. And he must have been a standout guy to impress Samuel. I imagine Eliab to be a pretty good bloke, much like the four that were shown in the slide before. I think he would have been like Saul in chapter 9 verse 2, tall, handsome and impressive. And Samuel was grabbing for his flask, ready to anoint. But God quickly stops him and he says, Do not consider or do not be impressed by his height or his appearance, for I have rejected him. And these four words, I have rejected him, were the same four words used in Saul in chapter 16. So it's in this context, in this passage, that we read this often quoted verse. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's through this context and this statement that we understand why Saul and Eliab were rejected. Often our application to this verse is that we need to look at the heart. And this is true, this is right, but I think we need to push it a step further. In verse 8 to 10, I don't think Samuel just put on some new special glasses and changed the way he looked at things. Samuel still relied on God to find out which son was God's chosen king. Only the Lord can look truly at the heart of man. And Samuel had to rely on and trust God's sight and provision to choose David. And this is the first truth in this passage. God sees and provides. God sees into the heart of Saul to find a heart of disobedience. And he rejects Saul as king. And God saw into the heart of David though young, unexpected, and not even invited to the sacrifice. And God provides for Israel a new king in David. And this new line of kings begins with David and points us to David's greater king and God's ultimate provision for humanity in Jesus. God also sees into our hearts today, and we are all deeply flawed. Romans 1.21, Paul says, For although they knew God, which is referring to everyone in the world, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. We were all deeply flawed on the inside. Without Jesus, we are in a hopeless state. But just as God providing David would eventually give Israel much hope as a nation, God provides Jesus, and gives us today much hope. It's through Jesus, David's greatest son, that God provides us with a King and a Saviour who took away all our deep flaws on the cross. And this is something that we need to trust God for, because it's only through Jesus that we're saved. It's only through Jesus that we have new hope and assurance of life. Nothing we can do ourselves can earn salvation is only trusting and relying on Jesus and the free gifts that he provides for us. So just as Samuel had to stay close to God and trust and rely on God's sight and provision, we need to ask ourselves, do you rely and trust on God's sight and provision, or do you depend on your own sight and strength? If we're not relying on and trusting God for Our salvation, all the work in our lives. Then we're walking blind, and it's like Samuel in verse six. We'll only see and be the outward appearance. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at Saul, and about his outward appearance and his heart. And it's really challenged me to think about my outward appearance because I look fine on the outside most times, but is my heart in the right place? And These questions really kept coming up. Am I close with God? Am I worshipping God? Am I talking to God? Am I listening to God? Am I doing God's work in my life? How did Samuel trust God's sight and provision? He talked to God. He listened to God. All through verse 8 to 11. God sees and provides in David, in Jesus. And this gives us great hope as we rely on God in our lives. As we move on to the second section, God sends his spirit. This really looks at the hinge verses between the two stories in this chapter. We pick up the story in verse 13, if you have a look, where once Samuel gets the all clear from God, he anoints David, and the spirit rushes on David. The discussion here is about God's spirit. And I don't know about you, but it's been a great time reading Samuel because I think the writer of this book is a really great storyteller, and he uses these contrasts and comparisons to convey his truth. So if you remember a couple of months back, we saw Samuel the boy contrasted with the sons of Eli in chapter 2 and 3. We saw Dagon and the ark, we saw Saul and Jonathan, Saul and Samuel. And now we see David and Saul being contrasted. And here in verse 13 and 14, in the hinge between these two rather different passages, we read of this contrast of God's spirit rushing on David in verse 13, and then departing from Saul in verse 14. In the Old Testament, God sends his spirits on his servants, prophets, judges, mediators, and kings. In verse 13, the Spirit of God rushes on David. It shows, firstly, God's intention to work through David. And it also shows God's presence with David. If you look at verse 18, David's described by saying that the Lord is with him. And this here really signals the beginning of God's work in and through David. And this points us to Jesus as the Spirit comes down and anoints Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. Jesus was publicly empowered and anointed by the Spirit to do God's work. And this also points to us today. The New Testament reminds us that we are clothed in the Spirit if we have accepted Jesus as Lord. We're taught that the Spirit of God enters us and lives in us. And as with David and Jesus If God sends His Spirit on us, then we are also to join in with God's work in our lives. If you've seen the Connect studies, they're titled, Walk in the Spirit, and God wants us to walk in the Spirit that He sent us. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, let me ask you, are you joining in with God's work in this world? Are you walking in the ways of the Spirit of God or are you walking in the ways of the world? Are you living your life for God and His purposes? Or are you living for yourself, like Saul sometimes, or for something else? One of my pet peeves on the road is when people don't turn on their headlights at night. I always wonder how it actually feels like to drive around at night without headlights and note that I did not try this. But I think that it would be pretty dangerous. There'd be a lack of visibility and direction. And I think it'd be actually pretty similar to walking in life without following the Spirit of God. We get sidetracked easily. We lose direction. We find ourselves in great danger. God has given us His Spirit and wants us to walk in the ways of His Spirit. We see that Saul didn't understand this. He didn't walk in the Spirit of God. And that's why he was eventually rejected by God as king. And as we move on in verse 14, this is confirmed as the Spirit of God departs from Saul. And God instead sends a harmful, evil, and tormenting spirit on Saul. So now this evil spirit business opens up many curious questions about God. Questions like, Does God really send evil spirits on people? Why does God send evil spirits? My best answer to this question is, talk to Pastor Darrell. But I had to think. Does God really send evil spirits on people? And the answer from reading this passage is yes. The tougher question to address is, why does God send evil spirits? I thought God was a good and loving God and, doesn't do that kind of stuff. Again, this is not the main point of this passage, but it's a side question that really needs to be addressed. Firstly, God is good. He always does what is loving, but he also does what is right, which is God's justice. In the previous chapters, we see Saul continually disobeying God and refusing to take God's commands seriously. And God's justice means that there's judgment for those who disobey God. And here in this passage, God's judgment on Saul is to give him over to evil. It's like in chapter 2, if you remember, where God hands Eli's sons over to the devil. And Pastor David did a great job in explaining that tough passage earlier this year. It's a really terrifying thought from Saul's example to know that God can hand us over to evil. And this thought should really move us to seeing Jesus, David's greatest son, and really treasure the grace that he only can give us, the hope and the assurance of being counted free from God's judgment. It's a refreshing reminder for us to walk in the Spirit of God. God has sent us his Spirit, And he wants us to obey God, seek his will, and do God's work in our lives. In this section we see God's spirit departing from Saul and resting instead on David. And we too have God's spirit. God sends his spirit to his people. And are you joining in with God's work in this world? Are you walking in the spirit of God or walking in the ways of this world? We move on to the final section, God works his plan, from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. And we've seen already in this chapter that God chooses David, and God sends his spirit on David. And in this last bit of the chapter, we read of the circumstances of how David, uh, God's newly anointed king, enters the royal courts of the king. In verse 23 we read, of David relieving Saul from the evil spirit by playing the liar. But I think there's something more and bigger that God is trying to show us through the story. It's a simple yet profound, hope-stirring truth. God is sovereign. God is in control. He's orchestrating all circumstances and situations. God works his plan, which is the title of this final section. Who does Saul invite into his royal courts? On his own instruction and by his own free will. He invites the king, David, the future anointed king. Saul doesn't know that he's inviting the future king into his royal palace, but God does. God begins the motions here of lifting up David as king. God is in control. He works his plan at all times, in all circumstances. And it won't be stopped by Saul. In fact, it'd be helped by Saul and by sinful men. We think of another story where another group of sinful men, and what they did was another anointed king, Jesus. What did they do? They got rid of him. They put him to death. Yet that in itself was fulfilling God's God works his plan. God raised Jesus. God triumphs over death. God works his plan of salvation from raising up David as king to raising up David's greatest son Jesus from the dead and as the risen king. And it won't be frustrated by men. Again, this section gives us great hope. God reminds us that he's in control. he's working out his plans in the world. God knows what circumstances and situations you're in right now, today. And however hopeless it may seem, know that God is working in your life, whether you can see it or not. The big question is, will you acknowledge God working his plans in your life, or will you ignore him and his plans? Knowing that God is working his plans in my life gives me great hope that no matter what happens, whether good or bad, highs or down in the pits, that God's in control. He's working something out. And if you know that God is working his plans in your life, then it should give you also much hope, much certainty, and much peace that no matter what life throws at you, God is in control. And know also that God has already worked in this world and in your life, and he's worked mightily through Jesus. Jesus died and rose again to give us great hope of assurance of eternal life as we live in this world around us that is deeply flawed. So just to summarise as we close, we began with the statement, what looks good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside firstly God sees and provides do you rely and trust on God's sight and provision or do you depend on your own sight and strength? God saw Saul's deep flaws and provided Israel with God's own king David and today God sees our deep flaws our sins and our burdens that we carry and he provides us with God's own king and our Saviour Jesus Christ. And we need to trust and depend on Him for our salvation and in our day to day lives as we walk with Jesus. Secondly, God sends His Spirit. Are you walking in the Spirit of God or in the ways of the world? God sends His Spirit on David, God's King. And He sends His Spirit on us, God's people. And God wants us to live and walk in obedience to Him, to submit to God's rule and God's will in our lives. And thirdly, God works His plans. Will you acknowledge God working His plans in your life? Or will you ignore Him? God works His plans in this passage by beginning to instate David as the king. It's no fluke or coincidence that David enters the royal court. It's God who's working out these plans. And God is still working out his plans today. In this world, in your life, will you acknowledge this and join in God's plan? And all of this brings us great hope. God's working through David points us to how God has worked through Jesus. No matter how deeply flawed you are, no matter what circumstances or situations you find yourself in today, no matter how hopeless you may feel in your life, God sees you. God has provided for you eternally in Jesus, the risen King. God has sent his spirit to you, and God is at work today. David's greatest son, Jesus, brings us the refreshing news of hope in a hopeless world God has provided with us his king he's the king of the world of the universe and he wants to be the king of your life who's the king of your life let's pray as we finish off Heavenly Father we thank you for this passage that reminds us so much of your work in this world and the hope that it brings to us as your people. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to trust you instead of relying on ourselves. Help us to walk in your spirit so that we can join the work that you are doing in this world. And help us to see Jesus as the King that you have provided for us. Remind us of the assurance of salvation that Jesus provides for us when the times get tough in this world. Lord, we're so thankful that through Jesus you rule and you work your plans in the world and that you work your plans in our lives too. Help us to put our hope in Jesus the King. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.